Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there, moves us to the top of the listings. You can subscribe wherever you found us, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. I keep calling it Google Play. It's been Google Podcasts for probably a year now, but it's Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, wherever you found us. Share this with your friends, whatever podcast service you and them enjoy. I also like to remind you that our podcast host, Podium, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium service and 25% off your first premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Sign up using the offer code LONGHORN to get 25% off your first three months. Now, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week like I am every week. And I'm joined by my good friend, a man who's wearing a tasteful burnt orange sweater, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, I'm on the uh, I'm on the 980 schedule uh, on, my, on my client right now. So we get every other Friday off. So I don't get to wear my my burn orange on Friday. So I missed uh, I missed last week's wear Friday uh, wear excuse me wear burn orange on Friday as per uh, the boss Chris Del Conte. So I'm wearing Monday a tasteful burn orange sweater, but I'm good. My so my last team that I worked on got me a going away present because I'd been there for a minute and they got me a really like it's hard to find a tasteful college tie mm. and they got me just this simple burn orange tie with some white longhorns on it so that's my Friday tie because I, I work in I work in uh, training so I don't necessarily get to uh, get to dress down on Fridays because all of trainings are on Fridays but. I get to wear my burn orange tie and participate. Uh, so this is our air quotes short National Signing Day preview that we're going to provide you. We did. Uh, it, it's going to probably end up being long because, well, it's a Longhorn Republic podcast and that's what <laughs> we do. Uh, so we're going to bring you a medium length uh, preview and then we'll bring you probably what's going to turn out to be a lengthy recap on Thursday. We'll record it the night of National Signing Day or the, the beginning of the early signing period more accurately. Uh, We'll have Westcott on. He'll break it down what Texas got, who Texas missed on. Maybe we'll find out who the secret visitor is, and and who knows. Uh, and then toward the end of next week, we will also give you our Georgia preview. We're not going to record on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day because we like our families. Maybe we like our families more than podcasting. I don't know. But uh, So we're going to hang out with our families on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But we will give you some sweet, sweet podcast sounds to take you down to New Orleans as you watch. Watch Texas dominate the Georgia Bulldogs. So we've got a little bit of news and then we'll get into the interview. But first off, Texas had a little bit of attrition. One was expected, didn't know when it would happen, but we knew it was coming. And the other one kind of came out of left field. So sophomore running back to Neil Carter announced via Twitter that he is transferring one last time. Give it up for the captain. And Mike Williams, freshman uh, defensive tackle, who had a ton of upside. Fans were excited to see him in the next few years. Abruptly kind of just packed up his stuff and left. We don't really know what it was yet. A lot of uh, scuttlebutt was that he was kind of homesick, wanted to get closer to home, which I get that we've all experienced that. And if you've got options to transfer and you can get a ride for free wherever you want, then I understand that. So Kyle, this kind of roster churn is natural, but did you expect it to be, uh, I don't want to call it explosive, but did you expect it to be this, this sudden? Um, I mean, I, I think the Daniel Carter one is, is coming at a time. You're seeing a lot of big, um, there's, there's 
two recruiting seasons going on right now. There's there's transfer and grad transfer recruiting as well as the high school kids. So I think Tennille Carter getting his name out there is not um, surprising. And like I said on Twitter, we wish him all the best. You know, he's got to get his name out there to see where he lands. We Let's not forget he was the number five running back in his class. He's going to be a big-time recruit for someone wherever he goes. Um, Mike Williams is one who these happen seemingly every couple of years where you have a guy who has a lot of talent. Um, it's always curious to watch where those guys end up, whether it's another big school or sometimes, um, you know, you have like a hemp hill maps or something that has a, just a personal bent to it that takes them closer to home. And you don't necessarily hear, uh, too much more from them, at least for the, the immediate future. So, um, I don't know if Williams was a, like you said, just a kind of family, wanted to get closer to home, uh, looked at the depth chart, saw the, uh, what I'm going to assume is the uh, fresh and All-American and Keandre Coburn sitting there, uh, or just some other talent uh, on the uh, on the, on the too deep, um, or what that was. We'll probably find out more, but the Tennille Carter just surprises me not. Um, you look at Justin Fields and just kind of the big names around the country that, that have announced um, within the past 24, 48 hours. This seems to kind of be the time to get your name out there. Yeah, it's it's guys are starting to to declare for the draft, or, or you see, Cal has this weird exodus every year of running backs. Where last year it was Trey Watson, they've got two running backs transferring out this year. It's really weird, but I think the Tennille Carter, like we said, we we've seen this on the wall. He hasn't played a single snap this season. Um, he he expressed his frustrations via Twitter, but for me, you know, again, I've got nothing but love for him. He was an incredible player um, in a lot of spots. He also had some fumbling issues that I think, you know what, if, if that's your job as a running back and, and if there's a guy that's doing the job better than you, then that's, that's just kind of how life works. And we, we wish him all the best. I hope he lands somewhere and shows exactly the type of running back he could be because he definitely showed some flashes of brilliance at Texas, uh, but it leaves the running back room really, really thin. I think that's that to me from from a fan standpoint, from and even an analyst standpoint, you can't really look past the fact that Texas doesn't have a ton of options at running back at this point. I mean, we all know Keontae Ingram is a thing. He's he's going to be he's going to be a feature back. He he can carry the load, but with Carter gone, that leaves Kyle Porter, who's also transferring, uh, who's who's gone. So you got Danny Young. Kirk Johnson, who hasn't seen a meaningful snap at running back, and Tristan Houston, who I don't know. So, like, really, your your depth is Keontae Ingram and Daniel Young at this point. Darian Brown is coming in, and we'll, we'll talk about him in the recruiting segment. But, like, what is this is just kind of a weirdly thin position where Texas can't afford to be thin right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're going to see some guys come in, whether it's in this freshman class or in that um, kind of grad transfer recruiting period. I think, you know, you could see a like for like swap where Tennille Carter goes out and someone else comes in um, like, like a Watson who has kind of a, an immediate chance to get some carries. Uh, I think the biggest opportunity out of all of this um, is Danny Young. I think he gets a chance to solidify, solidify himself as a 10, maybe even 12 carry a game or 20 down back, depending how Ingram progresses. Now, Keontae Ingram may just say, you know what, I'm a 40 carry or 50 snap, you know, uh, back who's not going to get off the field and good luck because I'm... Which he was in high school. Yeah, absolutely. He has that capacity. I think Herman kind of 
didn't want to use him that much because he didn't have to, but I don't think he's um, resigned to to not give him the ball all the time. Uh, but I think it does give Danny Young a chance to kind of step up and eat. Um, we'll see if there's some other names that come in who get in the way of that uh, depth chart analysis in, in December for the ensuing fall is always tough to do. There's going to be a lot of things that change between now and then, uh, but it is something definitely to keep an eye on. And so now because it's, Basically 24 hours at the time you're listening to it from early signing day. We've brought on the man, the myth, the legend, Cody Daniel, to help us preview a little bit of our national signing day coverage. So, Cody, how are you doing tonight, man? Man, I'm I'm good every time I hear that intro. That's the, the only time I get that kind of praise is when I come on your show. Hey, you know <laughs> what? You, you we'll, we'll keep praising you, Cody. That's, that's, that's what it is, uh, man. The, don't, don't flatter me. Don't flatter me. <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, Cody, uh, this is going to be our signing day preview. We'll be back. Uh, we're going to bring Westcott, the other the other guy who kind of keeps things moving on recruiting, back on Wednesday. We want to get you on to preview because you've had your ear to the ground uh, on, on a lot of this recruiting news. So uh, let's just start with the biggest news. At the time of recording, uh, literally about 45 minutes ago, Texas just added a big-time commit in uh, JUCO linebacker Caleb Johnson. He is a big-time play guy. What does he bring to the table uh, for Texas and – and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. What does this do to stem kind of some of the negative uh, energy and coverage that had been swirling around the Texas 2019 recruiting class for the last few days? I mean, I think it's definitely a, a positive a, a positive pickup in the fact that Texas got a guy that where there there's been a lot of talk of guys leaning other ways. Like, obviously, now there's the stuff with Noah Kane and Penn State. Um, the whole Brew McCoy thing where it's looking like he'll probably stay at USC. Uh extends to, to Trey Sanders. Texas got one of these battles where it went out of state. It picked up a, a big time guy from California who was actually an Oregon fan growing up and Texas picked him up over them. And then even kind of outlasted the the little late push from Colorado when he was supposed to commit last week and then decided to kind of delay that and take that visit. I mean, I, I think it's just, it, it's a really good start to what could end up being a, a solid signing day or it, it could be one of those things that just kind of carries Texas over with, hey, we missed on a lot of guys, but we got a really good one, and that he definitely is. Do you see him as the guy who comes in? Because we've talked a little in our previous pods about that linebacker spot specifically and how we needed instant help. So getting a Juco there may be better even than, than a big-time freshman recruit. Do you see him day one, you know, any any reason he's not coming in and contributing? No, I, I definitely think he's going to be a day one starter. Um, when you, when you see his film, there's a ton of similarities to Gary Johnson, a ton. He's – He's um he's not quite as fast, but he's still extremely fast. I mean, in his film, there's several instances in which he's chasing down a receiver from behind, like a, nice. a, a breaking away receiver is chasing him down to make a tackle. Um, he plays with like a tremendous tenacity that I've noticed, and even more notably than than what Gary Johnson was able to do coming in, he's really good at fighting through blocks and and making the tackle. He he reads gaps really well. He's really instinctual. And it'll be an early enrollee, which is something that helps. A guy with three years of eligibility left, he already has good size, already understands the the physicality of the college game to an extent being in JUCO. I mean, I think he's a guy that'll come in, probably get straight to Yancey McKnight's uh, strength and conditioning program and probably come in playing at around 220, maybe 225 by the time next fall starts. Nice. Injuries or anything aside, I mean, he's, he's probably your next rover. And he seems like he's a he's a pretty mature kid because really he's a, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore, uh, but coming in with three years of eligibility at what twenty twenty one years old like that's 
that's a guy who's going to be 23 by the time he graduates. So uh, not only is he an experienced guy, but he's more, he's going to be a more mature presence on the defense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be big for Texas as well, because um, Brandon Jones has pretty much said he's coming back, but you're losing a lot of veteran presence on that defense, whether it's both linebackers with, with Gary Johnson and Anthony Wheeler, you're losing three starters along the defensive line. You're losing two uh, two senior cornerbacks, three if you count P.J. Locke, who who starts at the nickel. I mean, you're losing several senior starters from that group. So just just somebody who's been in the game and can, even though it hasn't been at, te- at Texas in particular, I mean, he's just kind of a calming presence to kind of provide for a, a secondary and a linebacking core and everything that's going to have a lot of inexperienced talent around him. Absolutely. So we'll move on to uh, to a little bit more of a weirder news. And I mentioned it alluded to it in the first presence. So um, Texas picked up, picked up Johnson, but kind of before that leading into it, there'd been a lot of negative energies. The best way you could say it, not the way you want to go into national signing day or early signing day, whatever you want to call it. Uh, You know, there's talk about Marcus Washington, possibly decommitting and flipping to Missouri. Uh, You've got Damari in Houston and Peyton Powell, both decommitting, whether or not that was their own choices up to be uh, debated. But should fans be worried about the this class kind of holding together for the last uh, you know twenty four hours leading into to the early signing period? Yeah, at this point, um, I, I think Marcus Washington was the last real concern, and that was just the whole Mizzou stuff has kind of been brewing for a few weeks just because of little little thoughts that he would he would rather stay closer to home just to be near his family, play in front of them. Texas has has done a really good job these last couple of weeks of kind of solidifying and alleviating any concerns um and i think what's what's good about it is washington i believe was supposed to actually visit mizzou over the weekend and didn't go so not only only did he publicly deny that that initial report but then to come back out and and say like sorry for any confusion hook him and everything and then now the mizzou rumors have kind of died down i mean i think that's a really good good sign for texas with national signing day i mean by the time you publish this, like you said, 24 hours and everything seems to have kind of went back to the status quo with him. I don't really see anybody else leaving. I mean, if there is, it would probably be Javon Shepard, but he's a late signing day uh, addition anyway, and he'll officially visit Texas. So, I mean, that's that's nothing new. Te- Texas fans by now should know that they were going to have to to fight for him until the the ink dries on that in February. It seems like every year one guy in, in Herman's class is like that that straggler who he kind of, I don't know what motivates it, but he kind of just likes to, to drag things on. Maybe he's just trying to get his money's worth out of the trips or I don't know what it is, but he, he definitely seems to, uh, to like the attention. I mean, I think one thing with, with Shepard, um, and this is going to happen with a lot of those Houston area kids or, um, whatever region may be surging at the time, kind of like last cycle where Texas capitalized on, um, the Houston area with a lot of those kids knowing each other. I mean, you would, you would see him at the, the Nike, the opening or the, the under, not the under armor, the, the U S army all American game. Mm-hmm. And they, they hung out. They were friends. They were all in their big group. They were socializing and everything. It wasn't like, Hey, we just, we live in the same city. I mean, they were, they were friends. They talked on Twitter this year. It's just been A&M kind of capitalizing with that momentum and getting all those, all those recruits from the same area. He's obviously really close with Demon Demas um, who's committed. So I, I think it's just one of those things where it'll have to be playing with, Playing with people you may be close with or, or playing at a program that you may like more. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what his priorities are on that. He's, he's not the not the most active in interviews and everything like that. So there's just there's not too much that that you can take away from it other than 
what just randomly pops up on Twitter one day. And and obviously Footwork Kings, all sorts of updates on him are always great to get. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's actually tweeted something um that Shepard was going to Texas. That was a, a few weeks ago, but again, this is this is recruiting, man. Things things change on a dime, and yeah, you, you, you kind of never know. So um, I mean if if I had to bet the the house one way or another, I would say he ends up at Texas. But it, it's one of those things where nobody should be shocked at all. He does end up flipping. Well, speaking, I mean, I mean, it does seem like the coaching staff's been out on the trail here uh, the past couple of weeks. They're they're in home. Um, some of it has been new faces, but a lot of it has been trying to keep the uh, those names happy, make sure they're getting face time with all the the guys who are committed, the guys who are you know just a little bit questionable. But there are two targets who we've had in home visits with that I feel like every Longhorn fan has knows every detail inch of their blueprint of their their homes from the pictures tweeted out maybe three um but just to keep it uh kind of focused here on the on the running back position we have noah kane and trey sanders are you hearing anything do you have a gut feeling um where do we where do we lie with those two i mean i think at the end of the day um texas is going to miss on both and more than anything it'll be proximity both love texas um but Obviously, it's it's pretty well known by now that that Brew grew up a USC fan. It only helps that they have Cliff Kingsbury now. I mean, it's it's hard to sit down with Kingsbury and see the see the possibilities in that offense and with with a young quarterback and then Amon Ross St. Brown on the other side. I mean, it's that would that would be a hard thing for any elite player to turn down, especially when you grew up a fan of that program. Yeah, and Sanders. I mean, I it's pretty well known that he likes Texas as well, but it's just. I think distance is going to be the issue there. Um, there's several intriguing options that young man has closer to home. Uh, I mean, my money would probably be on Georgia. And it's, I mean, that's, it's right down the road. It's a, it's a powerhouse program with a, a increasingly storied history of, of putting out top tier running backs. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if Texas wasn't in Georgia or if, if he was a Houston kid, then I may feel differently about the situation, but I think just, yeah, it's one of those things that Texas is probably just going to say, hey, we we tried. And the fact that we, we hung in it this much is a moral victory for for this kind of player. So if Texas misses on Sanders and, and Kane, you didn't talk much about him because I think it's it's a it's a Penn State lean at this point. Um, if Texas misses on those two guys, do they look to add another running back to this class? You know, whether it's during the later signing period or is there somebody on the back burner? Maybe uh, where do they go and and kind of where do they look next? One, I'm I'm not sure what's honestly going on with Kane. Um, the obviously you see the crystal balls coming in for it, and all the momentum seems to be with with Penn State. Um, our Joe Hamilton um, actually knows Kane and. He's even kind of said he doesn't think Kane knows where he wants to go just yet. And so that decision may not have even been made. Um, I'm, if that does end up happening where he does go to Penn State, Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson was a guy I was thinking Texas could look at, but he actually just committed to Oklahoma State, not Oklahoma State, Oklahoma tonight. Um, I think the name you'll see next would be um, DeAndre Glass out of, out of Katy. Um, he's a, an extremely productive workhorse kind of back. He's not going to blow you away on film, but he's the kind of guy that would be really a really solid complement to somebody like Ingram. Uh, Texas is hosting him for an official visit in January. I think that's probably the most likely name that will emerge. I think Texas is, is running out of options on this side, and the good thing is there, there's Zach Evans in 2020. 
Right. I think Zach Evans in 2020, and then, you know, they already have the the one running back commit. I mean, we, we talked about him. You were actually on here right after he committed on the pod. But, I mean, if there isn't another back or if it comes late, uh, do you feel like, you know, right now where they stand with just Darian Brown, that's at least adding a guy who can come in the 40 acres and be a contributor at that position if he is the top back in this class? Yeah, I mean, and see, that's one thing that I, I know it, it doesn't look as great on paper because it would you would say, hey, Texas missed on Noah Kane and Texas missed on Trey Sanders and this, that, and the other. But uh, Darian Brown is still the top-ranked uh, running back signed to any Big 12 team. I mean, he's still a really good back. He, he has that, that one cut and just breakaway kind of home run potential. Um, I think he would probably see a, a role maybe more similar – to what Daniel Young saw this year, around like 40, 50 carries as he adjusts. But, um, I mean, there's there's a lot to like about him. I don't think he has the kind of upside that like a Keontae Ingram does where he can be like that every down feature back. Um, but he, he's, he would definitely be that that really good addition that rushes for seven 800 yards his, his junior year, and all of a sudden you're like, Texas offense is different without him kind of thing. But it's not – like I said, it, the, the fans – it, it won't look quite as appealing, but but Darian Brown is a, is a really good running back with a ton of upside, and if he can kind of develop his footwork to become more elusive, and and pair that with his breakout speed, I mean, there's there's potential there. It just needs to be cultivated. When you compare it to you know the five star blue chip guys, it seems disappointing. But in in really any other year where Texas isn't in the talk for those guys, the fact that Texas wins a running back from Georgia over Alabama, Auburn, Florida, mm-hmm. like that is a big win in any other year. So it's 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 one of those things that you feel almost dirty like talking about it as like, well, it's not as exciting, but that's simply because you know he's not the highly touted guy that that you anticipate him being. Yeah, I mean, he, the guy ran for 1,800 yards this year. He's, he's extremely productive. I'm not sure exactly what the, the competition level is at. What's it like like in his specific division and everything? But Georgia has decent football. So yeah. it's not like he's he's out there just running over a bunch of five, six linebackers. So I think he'll be a guy that just – you won't hear his name too much next year because you'll have, you'll have Keontae Ingram and you'll have Daniel Young. Um, Texas may look for a grad transfer, kind of like how they did late last year with, with Trey Watson, but – I think Darian Brown will be a guy that Texas fans kind of warm up to in, in two or three years when they when they start reading spring game practice reports and stuff like that. And all of a sudden it's, hey, who's this who's this kid kind of showing out? It, yeah, he was, he was the top-ranked running back to sign into a, any Big 12 team that year. So right, right. It's, it's one of those things that time will tell. So, you know, one of the reasons that fans were excited about bringing Stan Drayton over um, as part of the staff was he, his kind of reputation of landing those big fish running backs. And now it seems like that isn't paying off as much as we thought it would heading in. So what does this do to Drayton's brand as like the recruiter of elite backs? If, you know, Texas doesn't land these, these two blue chippers that fans are salivating over. I wouldn't say it's too big of an issue. Um, like I said, with, with Darian Brown, I mean, that's the, the top ranked running back signing to a big 12 team. Uh, last year, in, in getting Keontae Ingram, he was a top-ranked running back in Texas. Uh, still went out and, and landed Trey Watson, who turned out to be pretty big for this year's Texas team, to kind of right. just, like, fill in the weeds and everything. Um, I think what will be a, an interesting kind of parameter for that is, can you go get Zach Evans, who is already high on Texas, and he's the top running back in the country, and he's right down the road. Can you get him and sell – him as somebody who's going to have a a fairly early path to playing time with Ingram being a junior by his freshman year 
and Daniel Young being a senior. Can can you go get that caliber guy now that they're there? Because the last couple of cycles have been fairly down at the position in Texas. And most more times than not, that's Texas's edge is they recruit really well in state. So, I mean, I think that's where you'll kind of see what Stan Drayton can do as a recruiter when he's he's got a guy like Zach Evans right down the road. So and if and if Drayton can dra- can can land Evans uh according to 24/7's rankings that would be the second best signing in University of Texas history behind only Vince Young. So um that that could be a, a quick narrative change uh in in a one-year turnaround. He's absolutely unreal. Um I mean I I think it was what four first half touchdowns against Lake Travis and yep. there's everything about him. I mean the burst, the strength, the I mean, he looks like a polished back, and the fact that he's only – I mean, I know he's not extremely young, but for being a junior and still having that much development ahead of him, mm-hmm. he's looking at, what, a year and a half before he plays his first college game? Right. He's a top-ranked back for a reason. There's there's a reason he has all those offers. I mean, he's he would kind of remind you of a, a Trey Sanders in terms of, like, that complete package, do it all. There's not really any way you can really mm-hmm. game plan to stop him. Just try to slow him down. Okay, uh, since we don't have you, this is our preview show. Obviously, we said that a couple times. Since we don't have you after the signing, I want to get your impressions on this early. So as it stands right now, what do you think is Texas's biggest hit and biggest miss of this cycle? Now, whether it's a position or a player, like what's the biggest hit? What's the biggest miss from, from this group? On hit, I'll go with um, a player first, but then a group. I think DeGabriel Floyd is going to be bigger for Texas, even beyond the field, because of that, that California connection. He's a guy who obviously has a reputation out there. I think if he has success, that'll help. And I think when Texas brings California recruits in, he'll be a guy that's hosting them a lot. I mean, he, he's probably been the most active recruiter of Brew McCoy. Mm-hmm. He, he's been to campus multiple times, paying his own way. Just, I mean, he's a guy that loves the program. I think that'll resonate with recruits. And especially for somewhere like California that's constantly going to have talent. Positionally, I love what Herb Hand's done. If he can keep this class together and add somebody like Isaiah Hookfin, who may have the most upside out of anybody Texas is getting along the offensive line. I mean, to get Tyler Johnson, Javon Shepard, and Isaiah Hookfin, that's a really good core to just have two guys and say, I mean, three guys and say, we need to find two starters out of three really good players. And if if all three of those guys end up coming, then especially given how, how poor Texas offensive line play had been prior to this season and just inconsistent to where it was, it was always a concern that fans talked about. Uh, I really like what he's he's done recruiting the offensive line. Um, misses, I think the obvious one has got to be uh, DeMarvin Leal. I mean, that, that kid is unreal. I've seen him on several occasions, whether it's defensive end or he's lining up right at nose tackle. He's just a, a behemoth human being. He's he's extremely big, but it's not just size. I mean, it's it's like college-level frame and physicality already. He's usually requiring two or three blocks, and most of the, most of the time even then it's not enough. What's most unfortunate for Texas is he was actually considered a Longhorns lean before that visit to A&M. And then it was, he visited and all that buzz all out of nowhere. And then two or three days later, he's committed. So it's just, I think that's going to be one of those things where Texas watches him become a star in college station. And it's, I mean, whether Texas has talent or not, I mean, there's obviously going to be talent, but that'll be one of those things kind of like now where you have little Jordan Humphrey breaking out and becoming a star, but you can't help it, but look at Rondell Moore. Just one of right. those things, like a, a what could have been. I right. think it'll it'll be that kind of thing with Demarvin Leal. He's just he's a he's a special talent, man. And I think especially we'll get I'll talk about that, especially with how important like the defensive tackle position is in the scheme that Texas was currently running. Like that's that's a guy who can ba- you can build the defense around when your defense plays better. With all the things you said, that a guy like Puna Ford a year ago that just requires two 
plus blockers to keep him from wrecking everything. So uh, that that does that. And his commitment like was neck breaking. Like it was crazy where it was just like Texas, Texas, Texas. He goes to College Station and he flips on a dime. It was, it was so crazy. Yeah, I mean, and, and Texas, I, I was even kind of shocked that they've obviously kept in communication everything. Uh, Leal's mother loves Texas, but I was surprised that the Longhorns weren't even able to like get him back to campus once. I mean, he, he lives in San Antonio. That would have been a, a quick, quiet one hour trip. And mm-hmm. whether that's a testament of his loyalty to A&M or just how much he loved that program and, and kind of thought, Hey, I, I don't need to see anything else. But the fact that Texas couldn't get him back to campus once, I mean, even look, look at Caden Stearns, for an example, when I talked to Caden Stearns, his, his senior year, before he committed anywhere, he said LSU was like his dream school. And then he committed to LSU, and it, it took that one trip, and Texas flipped him. And I, who knows what would happen if, if Leal would have returned, but he didn't. That, that's that's going to be one of those ones that Texas just is going to have to watch from afar and think of what could have been. So just to wrap it up here, final question. Um, kind of wondering, you know, signing day coming up, we focus a lot on these big names who are still open. There's a lot of talent in this class. Is there anyone who, you know, has been locked down for a while or kind of went a little quietly? Um, just we aren't talking about right now because they're they're solid, like a, you know, early, early on recruit or just someone who you feel like fans may not remember the name right now, but pretty quickly will uh, we'll get to know that one. Yeah, the two that come to mind, our guy Joe has seen both of them on multiple occasions and he's raved about them. Tavondre Sweat was actually the first recruit to commit to Texas. And he never wavered. There was no other visits. He just kind of quietly committed in February. He looks extremely physical and, I mean, just like an overwhelming kind of force. And I think that's flown under the radar. I think he'll be a guy who can come in and not maybe, not necessarily next year, but like his sophomore year, start filling like a nose tackle role for Texas because he has a really good frame, but he's also extremely athletic for his frame. And I'm a huge fan of Tyler Owens. He was kind of that late riser who didn't get the offer until he impressed at camp. Yeah. All of a sudden he's one of the better players in Texas class. He's just kind of a do-it-all guy who who dominates the field from from the defensive back position, which doesn't happen often. Obviously, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to find playing time in that secondary, but he's a guy who, depending on how the, the defensive backs play out in front of him, I mean, you could see him having having some success at like a – I'm not even honestly sure what role he would play with, with Caden Stearns and B.J. Foster for the for the next few years, but he's a guy that Texas will kind of – maybe in a, in a Jalen Catalan kind of role as like a, an edge-rushing nickel. Mm-hmm. Um he has that kind of frame that can end up being like a PJ lock and he's even better in coverage. He's really instinctual. So I think those are two guys who probably aren't getting as much hype as, as a Jordan Whittington or Jake Smith or right. something like that. But in a few years, there'll be a, a really key piece of what Texas is doing defensively. Love it. Well, Cody, thank you so much for uh, so taking some time out. Uh, it's going to be a wild last day of recruiting. Texas had that secret visitor, there are there are a lot of I think there's going to be some fireworks toward the end uh, and it's going to be fun. Kate, Cody, where can folks find you uh, when you're not hanging out with us? I tweet about the 76ers a lot at uh, Cody Daniel SBN. So uh, if you're a fan of Jimmy Butler, uh, just I guess peep that. <laughs> Got to trust the process, man. Yeah, man. Uh, okay, cool. Hook them. So quickly, we have to hit on this stuff because uh, we talked a lot of bad stuff about the Texas basketball team a week ago. Uh, so Texas men's basketball 
came out against the Grand Canyon Antelopes, if I recall correctly, uh, and and put a beating on uh, on an overmatched team. They came over with a ninety to sixty eight victory in what looks like their best uh, their best one of their best games of the season, maybe that in in North Carolina. Yeah, they uh, they won by almost forty, almost put up a hundred spot on the Thunder Antelope Antelopes. I think is their official name. Um, Ooh, fancy. Or that's the, the, the fighting Dan Marley's. Um, one note that I wanted to add about this matchup is that the Grand Canyon Antelopes, I didn't realize this until the game started, is the only for-profit team in the entire you know collegiate athletics. Um, so not only uh, did they, they get a win, but besides beating um, Alabama and recruiting, they beat the only for-profit uh, team in the uh, in the country. So good on you. Um, and, and just congrats to the guys who came out there and shot the three-point ball. The leading scorers, I probably didn't predict this, um, were Jace Febris and Elijah Mitru Long. That was hard to say. Um, you know, our gunners. So when you have your three-point shooters as your leading scorers, I think that says something good about the team feeling confident pulling the trigger, and that hopefully should be a, a good sign heading into Providence on Friday. If Texas can keep the shooting, like – this is a team that makes its money shooting and they've just been really inconsistent. So if they can figure out a way to keep that consistent and hit those outside shots when they're, they're going to be open because Texas is also big down low. So it's interesting to see, but that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, big Bertha and we bang the drum. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, just to keep the uh, money, 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 money theme. And this is not, because it's related to National Signing Day, I promise. Um, Those bag men. <laughs> only in the SEC, though. This is just to talk uh, an interesting stat I found. I was looking up some of our kind of coaching tree. We've had some rumors about coaches being considered for head coaching jobs and potential um, movement with a couple of people on staff. I was looking up just kind of the back uh, histories on a couple coaches. I did, wasn't you know as familiar with their whole career uh, path was. And it actually led me to um, the Texas Tribune, which did a Texas Public Information Act. Um, it's recent of a about a, a year ago, um, but uh, led from one to the overall highest paid in the athletics department, and I found that quite interesting. Um, and so looking at our highest paid coaches, I was a little bit surprised to find Tom Herman, just by base salary, is not our highest paid coach. Actually, Shaka Smart at $3 million plus a year is the highest paid coach on the 40 Acres, followed, of course, by Thomas J. Herman. Um, the third one was a shock and a pleasure to me, but Karen Aston, the women's basketball team, um, it came in third, um, just behind, or you know, a decent amount ahead of Todd Orlando. Um, again, this is last year. I do think Orlando had a raise um, t- to stick around. Um, and then uh, finally rounding out the coaching uh, kind of payments on campus, you had David Pierce with the baseball team, uh, Jarrett Elliott with the volleyball team, um, a special assistant role for Augie Garrido, RIP. We love you, Augie. Um, and Tim Beck uh, down at the bottom there. Um, so, uh, you know, just a, kind of an interesting thing that I stumbled upon. I don't necessarily know what to make of that other than to say we talk about football, football, football. And, of course, the three biggest football coaches are in the top kind of ten here list um, on campus. But also, you know, good on women basketball. Good on Coach Karen Asson earning her, her money. She's, like I said, got a tough um, coaching job this year to earn it. And Jared Elliott continues to, you know, be worth every every dollar if uh, soon he can turn that uh, continued success into national championships. So I uh, just thought it was interesting uh, where that, that breakdown kind of fell. And uh, the uh, the Texas Texas coaches do well. It's Check it out if you want to on the Texas uh, Texas Tribune website. 
So my banging the drum this week is about Texas fans. So we give Texas fans a lot of grief, specifically about their basketball lack of commitment. But we also have in the past gotten on Texas fans for not necessarily being the best football fans, whether it's them not showing up, whether it's them going to ACL over a football game, whether it's showing up late and leaving early, whether it's not being engaged. But we saw this season some of the best home experiences that I've ever seen in my decade and a half of being really actively engaged in Texas sports, which, you know, the USC game, the Iowa State game, I was at the West Virginia game, and that was absolutely nuts. And so um, today, actually, 24-7 Sports did their uh, did their ranking of the top 10 average uh, attendance, and Texas not just cracked the top 10, but they were number 7 uh, with an average attendance of 97,712, which is, you know, it's it's not bad. I mean... Basically, this list turned out to be a list of just stadium capacities. Uh, basically, the biggest stadium in college sports uh, was number one. But the thing that interested me is that the average percentage of capacity filled in the you know, Dale Care Royal Texas Memorial Stadium was 97.5%, which would have shocked me two years ago. So with all the grief that we give Texas fans for maybe not always showing up or not being as engaged, 97.5% of stadium being the stadium being filled this season is a pretty good number. Uh, you know, and you keep in mind that Texas A&M only had a 97.1% average stadium fill. So um, you've got that going for you, which is nice. Pew, pew, pew. Shots fired there, Gerald Subtle, and I love it. Um, I, I find that very hard to believe because, uh, as you know, it just means more um, in, in the SEC. Um, and so I am I am shocked to find that that the the Aggies, who literally have nothing better to do with their lives in that godforsaken uh, flea motel of a town, um, than than to go watch you know a mediocre. Um, third place typically to, to fifth place in their in their division of the conference SEC team um, that they could be below the University of Texas who you know why wouldn't we just watch it on our you know diva network that we have of our own why would we even go to the stadium but turns out we do at a at a better rate than the Aggies so that's nice well, that's all we've got going for you this week. Well, I say this week for today. We'll see you in a couple days. But, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me at Kyle Carpenter. You can also find the pregamer at Texas Pregamer. And you can tweet uh, all of your um, Aggie anger at my um, my other Twitter at uh, SBN Cody Daniel. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but uh, but, yeah, you can find me on those, too. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. We got some replies of Texas this week to do a Rick Barnes follow up to our Mac Brown discussion from a cut from last week, which will happen. But National Signing Day and the Sugar Bowl have to come first. But patience, there is basketball season ahead of us, and we will do our Rick Barnes retrospective. You can again follow all my work at Burnt Orange Nation. I actually wrote a pretty long piece about the draft decisions of a couple of key Texas juniors. You probably already know who they are, so check that out. It was a fun write, and again, you can always just subscribe right here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, we'll be back with you late Wednesday, early Thursday, depending on when you get your podcasts. But thank you so much for tuning in this week, and until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook them.